this episode, we're going to look at some different Rails tricks. So in one of these previous Rails tricks episodes, I showed you where you can use the app. And with this, you're going to be able to get a lot of stuff around the application. However, a new one that I like is helper. So if you wanted to test out a view helper, you could do a helper dot and then something like a number to currency. And then you can pass in a number and then you will get the currency value. You can also use helper for other view stuff like number to percentage. And then you can pass in your number and then you can have a precision. And with the precision, it's just then going to show the decimals. So let's say we have two different models. We have a profiles, which belongs to a user. And then we have a user's table with a first name, last name, and also email. So in the profile, we could have a method like email, and then we can get our user.email. But this breaks the single responsibility principle, and it would be better to do something like a delegate. So you can have a delegate the email to the user. And then wherever you're calling the profile, you can simply do a profile.email. So let's say we have an array of sort options. And within this array, we would have an ID, we might have a title, and then also an author. So when a user passes into a controller the parameter for sorting, you might do something like this where you set the sort is equal to the sort options. And then you want to see if it includes the params sort. And if it does include that, then you want to set the sort is equal to the params sort. Otherwise, you want to default to the ID. Another way to write that, we can have a sort options again. We can check the include. And then again, we can pass in our params sort. And we can then do a params sort. Or we would then pass in the ID. But a better way to do this could be a sort is equal to the params sort. We can then check a presence in. We then pass in our sort options. Otherwise, we want to sort it by the ID. So the prem sort, presence and sort options, will return the prem sort if it is present in there. Otherwise, it would just return a false value. So then we would then return the ID. And another trick is when we do a search, so we do a user.where, we can search on the created at. And if we want to search on a time range, we can then do something like 10 days ago, dot, dot, and then the time dot now for a range of time. And that would be valid SQL. And I think before we would have done something like this, where we would manually have created the raw SQL where they created that is between two values. And if you're going to be doing a search on something like created at, especially if this is going to be a very large table, then you do want to make sure that you're adding in an index. And let's say we want to generate a model and let's just generate a comment model. And we say that's going to be a user belongs to, and then we're going to have some kind of body. And we're not sure what files are going to be generated with this, but if we're not ready to create this model yet, we can just add a dash P and this is going to be a pretend generate. So this is going to say what files it would have created without actually creating those files. So if we look at the create comments, we just have our create users and create profiles, but it didn't actually create the comments migration or the model or any other files. And let's say we've been working on an application for a while. And if we want to look at the log folder, we can see that we have several different log files and maybe their sizes have gotten to be really large in the gigabytes or so. Well, you can simply call a rails log clear and that's going to clear out all of the logs for where you have an environment on. 
notice the psychic log was just manually created. So that one might not get cleared out, but the development and the test logs definitely did. And another trick is one that I like to use when debugging. So let's add a railslogger.info, and maybe we want to just check the user's size. And so this won't be too big of a deal on a small application. So when we go and visit the user's path, we can see in the logs where it shows our user size is zero. But the problem with this is that we're getting a lot of mess in our logs, and it could be difficult locating the particular log that we're trying to find. So instead, when I'm doing this, I like to prepend it with something like debug, and then I will have the message. So when I go to tail-f log and then the development environment, I can add a pipe, and then I can grep for debug. And by doing that, when I refresh the page, I'm only going to get that one log entry. And if I refresh the page a few more times, you'll see that each time I'm only getting that one log entry. And this is a very useful thing when debugging because that way you're not scrolling through a whole bunch of text just to find the one thing that you're looking for. And then in the IRB console, let's have a look at something called the spaceship operator. And the spaceship operator is something where it's a less than equals and greater than, and you have two different comparisons. So if the left side is less than the greater side, it'll return a negative one. If the left side is greater than the right side, then it'll return a one. And if they're equal, then it'll return zero. So this is one of those operators where you're not going to use it too often, but when you do need to compare two kind of values, to see which one is greater than or less than, it can definitely save you a bit of code. Then next, let's set a variable money, and we'll just set it to 9.5. And if we want to format this nicely as a string, we can pass in a string, do a percent dot %2f, and then we can call another percent, and then pass in the money. And that'll return a string formatted with a two precision. And another neat thing is that sometimes we might create an array like an A comma, and then a B, and that's how we would create the array. But there's actually a quicker way. If you do a percent %W, we can then do a A space B, and then close it out, and that's going to create the same thing. And if you do a percent %I, you can do the same thing, but to get symbols instead. Let's take an example where we have a year, and we're going to set this to 1972. And we want to get the value of what kind of year this is, if it's the 70s, 80s, or 90s. So we can do this with a case, we can pass in our year, and then we can create ranges. So when 1970, dot dot, 1979, and then we can do the same thing for the 80s, and then we can also do the same thing for the 90s. So I would much prefer this over a whole bunch of if statements. So in my home folder, and on a Mac, that's in the user's home, on Linux, it would probably be something like home slash cobalts, or whatever your username is, we have dot files. And a dot file is just a hidden file that we're able to put some settings or parameters in to make our life a little bit easier. And one of my favorite ones is to do a gem echo, and then a no dash document. And I wanna inject this into my home folder, and I can specify the home folder with a tilde, then the dot gemrc. And then if we open up the gemrc file, you can see that it added in this gem no document, and that'll prevent 
the documentation for gems from installing whenever I do a bundle install, and especially on a production environment, or even your local development environment, it can greatly speed up the time that it takes to install gems. And if you usually open up your browser and go to the gems homepage, then there really isn't much purpose for having the documentation installed by default. And a lot of people don't know is that there's also a Rails RC dot file that you can create. And if you create it in your home folder, then whenever you create a new Rails application, it's going to follow these kind of steps. So if you have something where you hate adding in spring whenever you start a new Rails application, you could just have a dash dash skip spring in here. Same for the helpers or any of the other things like skip turbo links. Or if you want no assets or controller specs or view specs, then you can exclude those as well. And let's say we are troubleshooting a gem within one of our applications and we're not quite sure what's going on and we need to view the source code or maybe change it around a bit to test to see if it's a bug within the gem or within our application. So just running bundle to pick on a gem real quickly. Let's just take the Puma gem. So I can do an editor is equal to and then whichever one that I prefer, whether it's Vim or VS Code. And then I could do a bundle, open, and then Puma. And then I'll open up the gem. So I can then start going in here and start looking around to see what the issue could be. Also note, if you have the gem installed, you could also do a gem open and then the gem name. And while we're talking about gems, sometimes we want to update our gems and we're not quite sure which ones are outdated. So we could do a bundle update to update all of the gems, but then we would have to go through and cherry pick which ones we want to update or not. Instead of doing an update, you can do an outdated. By doing a outdated, that's going to look at your gem file, and then it's going to show you which ones are outdated, the newest version, the one that you have installed, how you have it requested, and what group it's in. And commonly when we are working with a Rails application, and especially if you're not using something like device, which already has a bunch of helpers, you may create a method like a user signed in. And with this method, and with this method, you would check if the current user is nil, but if the current user is nil, then that means that they are not signed in. So you would add a bang in front of it to flip the operator. Well, there's an actual easier way. You could do a double bang then just simply pass in the current user, and then that would force the Boolean to be true or false. And we've already looked at a few different operators, like the spaceship operator, but then we can also look at one with a double at equals, and if we pass in a value and then we add this to some string, and if value is not defined, then this is going to return nil. However, if we set the value, and if we run this again, then it's going to concatenate some string. And so finally, I'm going to do a yarn add stimulus, and that's going to add the stimulus library into our application. And then in our app, JavaScript packs application.js, I'll simply do an import and then controllers. I'll create a new folder under the JavaScript folder called controllers. And then I'll add in an index.js. And within here, I'm simply just going to paste in the boilerplate code for adding in stimulus that I've used in many episodes before. But the point here is that sometimes when we start creating a bunch of different controllers, this controllers folder could get out of control. So let's say if we want to namespace things, like we would have a hello, and then we would have a worlds controller. 
And this rules controller would be your standard typical controller. And on initialize, we just want to console.log and then hello world. The issue comes around on how would we consume this. So we would have a div with a data controller, and then that's where things kind of fall apart. But if you do a hello dash dash worlds, then this is going to indicate that it is namespaced. So we would have a hello folder, and then within the hello folder, we would have our worlds controller. And navigating to our index section and refreshing, you can see that we have our hello world. So this would make it a lot easier to keep your stimulus controllers within your JavaScript a lot more organized instead of having it all in one controllers folder. And without knowing that the dash dash is a namespace, you might think that the nested controllers wouldn't even be possible. And because I like keeping all of my Ruby files namespaced and organized, I was sad when something like this didn't exist for stimulus. And once I found out about the double dash indicating a namespace, I was extremely excited and this is by far one of my favorite tricks that I've learned recently. Well, that's all for this episode. Thanks for watching.